0: welcome once again to voice of reason radio your host chris Honholtz and richard story joining you on this 21st of may 2022 so grateful to have you guys with us thank you for being a little bit patient with us uh, we had intended to get this out a week ago and then circumstances kind of pushed it to what was going to be uh, this last monday today's uh, saturday and um again you know the <laughs> the you know just different things that popped up life uh, that yeah uh, you know you got issues you got to take care of it uh, kind of jumped up and, and it's like oh got to deal with that so we, we had to push this out a week and so we're back with you thank you for being patient with us I know that's uh, always a little bit weird when we, we get thrown off kilter' uh, we'll, if, if we ever run into that we always try to do a, at least a rewind episode so that you guys have something to listen to but this week was just a little bit on the weird side. Uh, nothing major, you know. Nothing, no end of the world kind of stuff. Just life. So, but thank you for being with us. So grateful for you to be a part of the Voice of Reason Radio family. Um, it seems that more of you have been sharing the program because we are seeing uh, you know, not that we do this for numbers, but when we log in and we look up the count, we can see those things, and uh, you got to log in to be able to upload stuff. <laughs> so, uh, we it seems like some of you are continuing to listen and and maybe even sharing and bringing others along. We are so grateful for that. Uh, you guys are so precious to us and, and that you take the time. I think it scares the living daylights out of me that some of you are pastors. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, when I see you guys share, oh yeah, this is why I listen to the program. And then I look at your Twitter account and go, oh right, that one's a pastor. <laughs> it just makes my skin crawl. Uh, only because, you know, Rich, I'm the guy that when the big brains start talking, on the kid in the corner eating paste. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always get a little bit nervous when I realize that the person with the title pastor is listening. It, makes, it, just, it just makes me want to crawl under a rock. But, uh, they, but we, we are grateful. Um, grateful that even pastors are willing to listen to the things that we put out. Because if, if, we're, if you're taking the time to listen and you're people that we, we recognize, you know the word. You're, you're preaching the word solidly. And thank you for the service that you do. Um, what you do is far more important than this podcast can ever be. Continue to pour yourselves into the life of your churches. We're so grateful for that. But it, it, it warms our heart a little bit to know that some of you listen and feel that we have something we're contributing because you're going to know the word a lot better than we do, I, I think. And, uh, and you're still feeling like we, uh, we, that we contribute something. So thank you for that. Uh, but yet we are so grateful to have each and every one of you, as I've already said. I want to remind you we are part of the Christian Podcast community. Always encourage you to go check that out. Uh, we want to also, by the way, remind you, and we did this with our last episode, we do have a uh, a page on our website at slavesoftheking.com forward slash gospel. If you ever find that you just, you want to at least share the gospel in some way, but you're never quite sure how to do it online, that's an easy resource that you can uh, make use of. We're going to try to be better about putting it in our show notes as well. We're not saying you only use ours it's the best or something like that. It's just a tool. It's it's available if if you go uh, I, how, what can I share with them? I'm in a here's, a here's the link. Read this. I've done that. I did that with an atheist who started throwing some uh, some you know the typical uh, you know objections. I'm like, you know what? Can we skip to the part where you call me names and tell me I'm a terrible person, which you need is Christ. Here, let me share you with this, and we'll you know. And it's it was a quick way for me to to just get past what was the typical rigmarole and and be able to put the gospel in this person's hands. So if you ever find yourself in a way that it's like, I wish I could just drop this really quickly, enslavetotheKing.com slash gospel. Read it first. Make sure you agree with what we've said. You know, and then if you agree with it, that's an opportunity for something you can share. So we will try to be better about putting that in the show notes. By the way, tonight's show notes there's going to be several things. You're going to have some homework again. Uh there are at least four different articles to share. Uh, Rich, you had two sermons. I'm also going to add uh, Daryl and Virgil's uh, article or uh, not article, excuse me, podcast on a nuanced gospel that number 77 that they put out uh, some, quite a while ago now, and it was uh, it was fantastic. I think it's going to actually give you even more than what we talk about tonight. Um, but so there's some homework for you. These are things that we want you to read and listen to. So please, please, we create show notes for a reason. Go check them out. So, with that said, uh, just don't forget we do have the website slave to the king.com. That's where you can uh, join and be notified when new stuff gets put out. Uh, I'm really, really trying to discipline my time better. Um, Pray for me, I'm terrible at it. Uh, My my time management is horrible. And uh, I want to read more, I want to write more, and I'm hoping that's something that I can start putting more into it as well. So, uh, again, Pray for me. I'm <laughs> being serious. But also that's how you you can keep in touch with us. You can find our social media links on there. You can find our support links through Patreon. And by the way, a couple of you guys were really good about sending me some stuff. I still need to do a little bit more research. If you can think of something that's better than Patreon, or maybe you guys aren't a fan of Patreon but you're a fan of something else, if you want to write to us, it's uh, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. I didn't realize how much Patreon dings you in fees. And it's not that I care about the fees myself, but if somebody's donating money and they say, "I'm going to give you 5, 10, 20 bucks whatever." I'd like to see that your money goes to what you're expecting it to go to, not lining the pocket of somebody at Patreon it taking over near more than 10% of what you give. Um, so if you can think of something that you think might be a better tool for for uh, you know, crowdfunding for the program let us know we'd love to hear from you uh and, you know and, and we're not doing that cuz we we desperately need the money it's just this is one way you guys help us keep it on the air especially at a time when you know everybody's dollar matters and uh it's i I always hate saying it cuz i feel like i'm begging you for money and i hate doing that uh but if you think of something that might be a better one or a better tool that's maybe a little less uh dinging you in the fees i'd love to hear from you cuz i i hate to see People who are kind to us to even donate to see so much of their that go to some dude's pocket. Um, so anyway, that th- they're just putting that aside. Also, just a reminder that's how you can find out if you uh, uh, want to get like a T-shirt from the for the show to help support the show. Darren Chandler, hey dude, you uh, was over at the Truth Matters conference. He was at. The you know the uh, the arc encounter wearing the voice of reason radio shirt man thank you for promoting the show that way that was so awesome of you uh, so grateful for that but um, if that's one way you can help share the show as well so uh, slave to the king dot com kind of your one stop shop so with all that said brother how you doing this week
1: better than I deserve brother and you, you had a mouthful for <laughs> an introduction this week i try (laughs) um i have i haven't i haven't discussed this with you yet but um i've been thinking about it and i know i have a feeling you'll you will agree in addition to the link that we have for our gospel presentation i'm thinking consider con seriously about adding another link in our header Uh for gospel links and providing links to our Brothers and sisters, websites, blogs, and, and ministries that have a solid gospel presentation. Ooh, so there are several links on one page that you can choose from or share different ones. Um, if anyone's interested, um, yeah. M- most of the time, if you go to my Facebook or my Twitter feed, I tried it. I'm trying to do better, but most days I tweet at least one online gospel tract from our, from yes. some of our brothers if you want to retweet that or download the image and share it yourself. It's a wonderful way and quick and simple to, you know, put a gospel presentation out there online. And believe it or not, sometimes when just two or three people retweet one image that I put out, mm-hmm. there have been times where I look at the little icon on Twitter and it, it We'll show you the reach, and there's times where a couple of thousand people have seen that gospel track. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's really an effective way to get it out there. Now, after that, it's in the hands of the Lord, how he, did, how he determines and how he chooses to use that, just like when we are proclaiming the biblical way of salvation. It's all by him, through him, for him. But if you never proclaim the gospel at all no one in your realm of influence will ever see, read, or hear it. So, And I've had some criticism, but it's better to at least share an online gospel track than nothing at all. Amen. And you can take that for whatever you want. But anywho, um, <laughs> um, I've noticed two or three of our brothers and sisters, I've noticed on their feeds, they're starting to... Do these type of things more and more and more, and I'm so grateful for it because <laughs> we we have some brothers and sisters that have ten times the reach that you and I yes. do, brother. And when the, when they share it or share a link and it gets reshared, you know that's just that many more people that are getting exposed to a gospel presentation. But for our brothers and sisters that have ministries that are you know, speakers at conferences, the more that they do this type of thing, the more other people will do this type of thing. We need to lead by example, especially when it comes to proclaiming the biblical way of salvation, because even in my little small circle of friends and family online, I've noticed the more that I do it, the more some of them do it. So, you know, if someone has a radio or a podcast that has 5,000, 20,000 downloads per episode, if you're encouraging your listeners to be proclaiming the biblical way of salvation, that's even more people that will get on board and start doing it. And in today's world, more than ever, it definitely, the, the way of salvation needs to be put out there more and more and more because sadly, there are many times when I see someone quote-unquote, sharing the gospel is not actually the gospel okay. from the Bible. It's a man-centered, man-pleasing yes. gospel. Come to Christ to be improved. He'll help you in, you know, all that other garbage that we've <laughs> addressed a million times. But yeah. completely different subject now. It, it's still gospel-related. <laughs> I would like to take a moment to acknowledge something and say thank you to Brother Tom Askell because you know, this this is a a well known pastor and a well known with a well known ministry and he's partners with Bodie Bachman and Founders Ministry. And Tom Askell is has been nominated and is running for SBC president. For a gentleman like him that is so well known to take time to reply In a simple tweet, in a simple message to reply to someone like me who is basically a nobody when it comes to the giant SBC machine that has such a small following and such a small footprint, him taking the time and the generosity and and the common courtesy to just reply to a tweet speaks volumes to me about a man's character. I asked Brother Tom a question online. I also asked The other gentleman that's running as SBC president, the exact same question. Brother Tom was kind enough to reply. I'm still getting crickets from the other gentleman. And Bart, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced his name, Bart Barber. I believe so, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I I, I get crickets in response from him. And yet, Bart Barber is the one that's running on a platform that he's the more what is it, moderate candidate or the
0: more... I, I think I think way people have described it is he's the safe candidate. He, yeah, he, the safe candidate. He's not the... He's the non-confrontational, non-controversial candidate. Yeah, but
1: how many people and honestly, going into it, I tried to keep an open mind for both of these candidates and look at what they were saying, look at what they were putting out and reading what they believe and what they hold to. And I even tried to push aside the fact that Ed Litton nominated Bart Barber, who I think was the worst mistake as, a, as for SBC president in the last 20 years. But anyway, <laughs> all that aside, the humility of Brother Tom and, and his willingness to engage a common, typical no face, no voice, no name, SBC member as such as myself, to me speaks volumes as to how he will interact with church members and SBC members as an SBC president because he understands the SBC convention, the SBC as an entity is there to serve the church. The church is not there to serve the SBC convention and the SBC on a national level. He gets that. Most of these gentlemen that have ran over the last several years that were elected as SBC president seem to think that the local church is there to serve them instead of being the other way around. They are there to serve the local church. And there's no greater example of that in a man's position when it comes to those issues such as Brother Tom Askell for the simple fact that he was willing to interact with someone and to take serious consideration of issues and things that I presented to him. And I thank him for that, and, I, and not that my endorsement carries any anyway, weight, mm-hmm. but if you are in the SBC and you are planning to vote in Anaheim, I could not encourage you any, any more strongly to vote for Brother Tom Askell. Now, granted, more than likely, if you're listening to this show and you're part of the SBC, you're probably already supporting him anyway. (laughs) But that just gives you, maybe my little speech will actually give you even more of an incentive to be promoting him and let people know that this is a humble brother that is willing to talk and discuss issues with a common, Mm. ordinary member of a small local church. And I say small, but it's actually the average size church in the SBC because we generally have 40 or 50 in attendance on a Sunday morning. And that's actually the normal size for an SBC church and not one of these mega churches with six campuses and 8,000 people in attendance that get to send more messengers because they donate more money that in itself ought to change in the SBC because that to me speaks volumes on where their real concern is. And The problem with that is as a pastor of a mega church and you have all these campuses and you start getting all these employees and you have all these things that you're wanting to do and you have to be so concerned about the amount of money coming in, then you start becoming concerned about what comes out of your mouth. You start becoming more concerned about speaking in a nuanced fashion and not offending anyone than you are when it comes to speaking biblical truth. And that's my lead-in for tonight's show.
0: Amen. Yes, I I believe that those that call for winsomeness and nuance would just never describe Tom Askell as having either. However, I think that's a good thing when you consider what most evangelical elites refer to as being winsome and nuanced. Uh, By the way, while I am not myself SBC, I do believe... That um, I echo my brother's sentiments, Tom. If you happen to hear this in any way, shape, or form, you have our support. You, 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 I, I will make it official. Voice of Reason Radio will endorse your 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 being president of the SBC. And so, while only half of us can can make that an official, and Rich has done that, I echo it, and I it's my wholehearted support. And you have an open invitation at any time, Tom, if you want to be on the show to talk about the things that matter about the SBC and and where you would like to see the SBC go. You have an open invitation at any time to come on. We would love to have you. But yes, I, I, I agree with you, brother. There There is this push, and it's really become a big discussion. It's It's been out there for a while. It's not like it's a new topic, but it's one of those that's kind of reared its head, so to speak, because, well, honestly, I feel kind of, I feel kind of bad for an individual by the name of James R. Wood. Mr. Wood did some really fantastic articles, and I'm going to put them in the show notes, and I want you to read them, because he was talking about this issue of winsomeness and nuance, and I really think they're really worth reading, and it has to do with one of the primary voices behind the nuanced movement, which is Tim Keller. Well, I don't think poor James R. Wood had any idea what nightmare was going to be unleashed upon him when he did this. And and then David French, yes, that David French, decided to critique, eh, I don't know if I'd call it a critique, it's more like a typical French screed, um, a you know, poor, uh, poor James's article. So it's revived this whole discussion. So I'm going to put James Wood's two articles, not James Wood the actor by the way, <laughs> This is another James Wood. <laughs> um, James Wood, the actor, wouldn't have no discussions of any of this. While he's extremely conservative politically, he is also a very crass individual. Uh, so he, don't confuse the two. But James R. Wood, uh, I'm going to put those two articles up, how I evolved on Tim Keller. And this article is not about Tim Keller, but I'm also going to put David French's article and a couple other things on show notes tonight. And as I said, please do some homework. We put these show notes there for a reason. I really, really would like you to go check them out if you haven't already done so. But this, this kind of revived that discussion. And um, it's one of the things that we've kind of tried to talk about in various forms throughout the six years of this program. Um, and there's been a lot of our shows lately that have really been kind of addressing Big Eva kind of mindset. I didn't intend this year to start off this way, but it's really been a lot of articles or excuse me, a lot of podcast episodes kind of going that direction. So here's another one. And and the reason we're doing them is it's not to be kind of like here. Here's another baseball bat to the kneecap of Big Eva. We're, that's not our thing. Um, but I think this discussion is important because we said before on a previous episode that there are Elitists or elite mindsets or intelligentsia or academia within evangelicalism who are kind of vying for we're the ones you need to listen to we know where evangelicalism needs to go if it's going to survive that's kind of their mindset and so they are the ones trying to frame the, these discussions that I mean when you've got a puff piece by I think it was New York Post on Karen Swallow Prior sorry we got to bring her up again third show in a row, I think her name's come up, doing a puff piece about how it's all about her, even though we're talking about the over possible overturning of Roe v. Wade. She made it all about her and how the moral compromise of voting for Trump isn't worth the possibility of overturning Roe. When When they are the ones trying to drag the spotlight upon themselves, and that's what happened with that article. I won't give you that one, by the way. <laughs> that was... That was just like, I was ready to claw my eyeballs out. Um, but when they're trying to set that tone and, to, and set that discussion, it's important for us. Because how we then engage culture, these are things that we're being told. These are the things that are being taught in the schools. These are the things that those in the, in the schools are coming out and being, and, and as pastors are doing. This is what's being communicated down to the lay level. And so... You are going to be impacted by these discussions, even if you've never read anything by Tim Keller, David French, Karen Swallow Pryor, uh, any of these individuals. Gavin, uh, who who was it? Gavin Ortlund was another one that came up. You're going to be influenced on that, right, Rich?
1: Well, absolutely, brother. And I'm going to jump the gun a little bit. The two sermons in our show notes by Martin Lloyd-Jones, I can't encourage... Our listeners to listen to those enough to the point to where turn this off go listen to those two sermons now before you finish this podcast they address now these sermons by Martin Lloyd-Jones I think were both presented to the congregation late 50s early mid 60s because I know in one of the sermons he was addressing the Vietnam War granted the the topics that he's discussing are outdated, but if you apply what he says to today's world, the solution, the solutions that he presents are the same and apply to today even when it comes to all these issues and spotlights on different individuals and and political turmoil and different sides of the right and the left and conservative and liberal, everything he said in nineteen in the 1960s apply today. We're talking 60 years yes. ago. There's a reason for that because God's truth, the truth in God's word never changes. The solution is the same today as it was 200 years ago. Open the book, turn the pages, and read it for yourself. But he articulates what I would love to be able to convey so beautifully that I'm basically just going to direct you tonight to those two sermons because it applies to today's world. It applies to what we see going on in Big Eva. And one thing I wanted i meant to share at the start of the show that I can kind of slip in now and make it somewhat relevant. I had a conversation, I think it was about two weeks ago, with someone that proclaimed to be a Satanist who worshiped Satan who claims that Satan is his God. I have to say, nothing about society or culture or politics, none of that came up in the conversation. And I will add this. I find this so disheartening. It is so shameful that the conversation with this Satanist was more polite and cordial than most conversations I have with people that hold to a progressive liberal type of christianity that is a travesty that this gentleman was that kind and for lack of a better word compassionate and willing to listen and willing to to discuss the things of christ and it ended I, i proclaimed the gospel with him and i shared a link And he basically said, I read through it. I don't agree with it. Thank you for sharing it with me. And that was kind of how the conversation ended. Portions of this were actually online. But I just wanted to point out that I find it disturbing that someone who worships or claims to worship Satan could be more polite than most of these progressive liberal types that we're dealing with today that claim the word of christ that claimed to be christian yeah. is it just me brother or do you find that disturbing
0: oh it's it's very disturbing in fact it was uh i i i hated to say this earlier today but there's an individual that we all know uh, him if nothing else because of a certain animated television program about vegetables who has become as woke as woke can be? Couldn't hack it in the kitty department of Big Eva, so he's now on the in the woke department. But Phil Vischer. Okay, I got to remember that one. <laughs> uh, Phil Vischer has t- t- just, I think, uh, yesterday, looking at the tweet here, in addressing the topic of abortion, had more snark in responding to a fellow Christian. Than probably what you got from the satanists, and is and this, this is why after I saw this today I said you know what I'm sorry y- y'all gonna, you can take issue with me I don't care, um, I'm I'm i am calling it Phil Vischer is an enemy of the Christian faith. He he is not representing Christ, and this individual is in a conversation with Phil Vischer is trying to draw out hey, as a Christian you know, abortion is murder. We should support the fact that abortion should be illegal because it's murder. And his response through this thread, and this is the one that I saw today, just, you know, it baffles my mind. Murder laws aren't analogous since murder is, by definition, an unlawful killing. What? You're saying this to a Christian. The conversation is about what sort of killing should be unlawful. Doctor-assisted suicide, abortion, drone strike... An overwhelming majority of Christians believe abortion is a nuanced topic. This guy is saying we need to be nuanced, and yet that tweet is full of snark. And when you, if you, I, have and, a question. And, and, and I was just to say, if you see you on, on any of these videos that like woke preacher clip shares, he's full of snark. I'm not. I'm not reading into that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What was your question, brother?
1: Did Did you say that he claimed that murder is an unlawful?
0: Right. He said, "Murder law okay. said murder is by definition an unlawful killing." Actually, murder yes, is but, taking the life of an innocent person.
1: <laughs> well, I'm I'm thinking he's not going back and read Exodus yeah. because in in the original in the Old Testament is, Thou shalt not kill. Right. And Jesus went on to proclaim that if you have hatred towards your brother, you've mm-hmm. already committed murder in your heart. Yes. I'm just wondering if he's even familiar with what. The words of Jesus Christ have to say both in the Old and the New Testament because both of them are the words of Christ.
0: Well, honestly, I don't think Phil really cares what the scriptures say um, because he's more concerned about a nuanced discussion, which is which, which we need to get to. But the point is here. he got to sell them maters. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, I think he sold that mater company and uh, now he's trying to stay relevant. But the point of all this is here's an individual who claims to be a Christian who is full of more snark and attitude towards Christians who, uh, toward, my wife will smack me if I put an S on the end of that, toward fellow, (laughs) fellow Christians who are trying to respond biblically. And what does he say? Oh, majority of Christians where you getting that stat there uh, Phil and how do you define Christian believe abortion is nuanced who cares about whether it's nuanced it's is it scriptural and that's what this individual is trying to draw out and Phil is snarkily kind of you know dismissing it and trying to muddy it in with things like you know warfare you know so um that's that's kind of the problem I absolutely agree with you is that you have people now, Phil is probably an a, a example of more to the left than some of the people we're talking about, um, as, as we were talking about, like Tim Keller. And so Tim is definitely leaning left. Uh, David French claims to be a conservative, but he certainly punches right. Karen Swallow Pryor tries to claim to, she's, and Gavin Ortland would claim they're biblical Christians. And I'm not necessarily calling any of them their, their profession of faith in the question. But they are definitely punching right and leaning left. So,
1: I will say this. One thing that I've noticed they all have in common, they hold to easy believism. And in my opinion, if you hold to easy believism, it makes it easy to believe anything as long as it's not the Bible.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I don't disagree with you there. So here's the thing. Let's, Let's talk about winsomeness and nuance. What is winsome? I had actually looked this word up. I knew it, but I couldn't tell you how to define it. And uh, you know, the, uh, the I almost said biblical definition, the dictionary definition is it's something that is attractive or appealing in appearance or character. So when we say you need to be winsome, your your character and how you present yourself should be appealing, something that is desirable. Okay,
1: go ahead. There is a, there is a biblical
0: definition for that. It's called desires of the flesh. <laughs> yes, I. I agree with you. And we'll get into some of this. Um, The other is the word, the other word nuance, a subtle difference or shade of meaning, expression or sound. So when we talk about from an evangelical perspective about being nuanced, such as Phil Vischer's perspective, well, there are different shades and, and, and perspectives on that. And we need to address those rather than saying abortion is murder. We need to have a nuanced approach That takes other perspectives into consideration. That's what they would say by nuance. Now, there is a place for winsomeness and nuance. Look, if I come out and I pull the, uh, I mean, if you go to Twitter and you look up, uh, like, I I I think it's IFB, yeah, IFB preacher clips. I think it is, Independent Fundamentalist Baptist, yeah, IFB preacher, preacher clips. And you see these guys who are yelling and screaming and almost frothing at the mouth. Yeah, that's not very attractive or appealing. <laughs> so if I go out and I want to share the gospel with someone and I take that approach, does anybody, do? even if you're speaking the absolute truth, is anybody going to listen to a word you have to say? No, of course not. You still want to present yourself in a way where people will hear you. Okay, so we don't want to be raving lunatics. Nuance. Okay, go ahead. We would we would call those
1: for, and I haven't been able to in years. But <laughs> in the open air preaching realm, those are considered open air yellers.
0: Yeah, or, or open or,
1: air protesters. They're protesting sin. They're not trying to yeah. convey any sort of compassion and understanding towards the lost, knowing that they're going to spend an eternity in hell. They're just yelling and screaming and. That, yes, that's not biblical and no, we do not need to be doing that type of thing when it comes to lost individuals and, and proclaiming the gospel. We're to doing it, to do it with love and compassion, understanding and knowing that the fate of this individual is an eternity in hell. Exactly. But we don't soft pedal or soft sell sin. We don't avoid using words like wrath and sin. Bingo. But as as we've said before, you don't want to be a jerk for Jesus, but you want to proclaim the biblical Jesus. And that means everything, wrath, sin, compassion, love, forgiveness, birth, death, resurrection, all of these things that are foundation to the biblical gospel. We need to explain and proclaim all of that. And this is an issue that Martin Lloyd-Jones addresses in those sermons. Is the lack of today's modern evangelicals <laughs> their willingness to address sin and call sin what it is? But instead, we have gentlemen like Tim Keller wanting to nuance or obscure, you know, or paint a gray picture when it comes to sin. Well, may, maybe sort of, kind of, you, you know, you really don't need to be doing this. Um, we 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 need to, you know, be more gentle when we're addressing abortion because, you know not everyone understands or not everyone has the same opinion on it. So we need to kind of be flexible and, and see if we can't win them over to our way of thinking, instead of just simply proclaiming what the word of God says, they're trying to be nuanced. And I looked up nuanced and one of the definitions or synonyms I found was obscure and obscure means to present something with a deceit, deceptive twist on it to where you're, you're wanting to paint a picture of a rose but you're presenting a picture of a daisy wanting them to believe it's a rose. And yep. I really like that analogy I came across.
0: Amen, amen. So let's let's discuss this a little bit, and, and let's kind of get into what we're talking about with the evangelical elite mindset towards winsomeness and nuance. Now, I'm, I'm not going to quote these articles because they were, they're were they pretty detailed, and I think it would be better to let you as a as a reader... Read and understand the context of these articles, and I'm not trying to avoid context. They they are the backdrop for what we're trying to address here. But James Woods' article in on the website First Things attributes the this winsomeness nuance approach to Tim Keller and what he would describe as the th- uh, third way, and, and, and primarily dealing with. S- Socio-political issues, you know, in in dealing with how the how Christians appear to the culture with regard to politics, and Keller's primary focus, as as uh, James points out in this article, is that everything is focused through the lens of evangelism. So everything we do publicly, anything we uh, proclaim publicly, <coughs> excuse me. I've got some sniffles from, from recent allergy attacks, folks. So if i got some uh, some sniffling going on, some coughing, please bear with me. I've got cough drops and water at the ready. I'm trying to keep it down. I apologize. Um, so in dealing with the public and making public pronouncements and stuff, we always have to be concerned about how the world is viewing us? What Are we damaging our witness? In other words, are we presenting ourselves and our arguments in such a way that they just seem too politically in one particular direction? And if we're doing that, well, then we're damaging our witness and we could damage our ability to evangelize the lost. And there is a, there is a, a way you can do that. If you are a complete hypocrite, for example, if you say that uh, fornication, and porn, and, uh, you know, uh, homosexuality, all these things are, uh, are terrible sins. And then you say you're a pastor and you're caught in the act of adultery. And we've seen that happen. Everything you say and have said is completely tainted. It happens. You can destroy an entire ministry by your hypocrisy and your sin. So there's no question it, that, our witness can be damaged. We don't want to. We don't want to say that that doesn't happen. But the point of this is that, as, as James Wood points out, that is Keller's focus. That especially when we're talking about the issue of politics, if we are too uh, too much seen to be in alignment with a particular political party, we could damage our witness, and therefore uh, it, it impacts our ability to evangelize uh, the world at large. So. We aren't supposed to take like really hardline political stances or make statements about certain issues that would at least give the appearance of a hardline political stance. Or in in our involvement in politics, align ourselves with people that that's a questionable person. And if you vote for that person and you stump for that person, you damage your witness, which would be the David French line, that everybody who voted for Trump is basically a hypocrite and therefore Christians have damaged their witness because they voted for Trump, a man who of terrible Christian character, or a terrible uh, sinful character, excuse me. So that, that would be kind of what they're getting at. So ra- rather than being specifically dep- or Democrat or Republicans, were to kind of take a third way Uh, by addressing political matters with winsomeness and nuance and trying supposedly to point out that there are fallacies and issues on both sides. Theoretically, the way this is supposed to be applied is, hey, on this particular political subject... There, here's the biblical perspective, and here's the leftist perspective, and here's why it's wrong, and here's the, the hard right perspective, and here's why it's wrong. And so we really want to address this biblically, and we're not worried about the politics behind it. So that would be kind of how that would be supposedly be, being presented, I think, ideally. And I think there is some truth to not... And we, and Rich, you and I have done this on the show for years now. Have have, uh, complained about the evangelical right, and it's like being completely in bed with the political, uh, a particular political party, being especially Republicans. We have talked about that. There is, there is, but we've talked about it from the perspective not so much damaging our witness, but the reliance upon political solutions rather than the preaching of the gospel, and the religious right, the uh, you know. the moral majority, all of that. There, there is some truth that we've done those things. We've, we've definitely talked about it on this show. So I want to make sure we're we're being clear on what we're talking about before we go too far, too far. So, but anyway, damaging our witness comes from being seen as being tied to to uh, too much to one political party, and uh, we're 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 at, we're now adding uh, an offense to the gospel that it doesn't need because we've we've. Uh, painted ourselves too politically so that's kind of that one of the reasons that you see this push for winsomeness and nuance and you saw this in the 2016 and the 2020 elections uh, the, the the hard line push for how dare you vote for trump think about your Christ, christian witness we saw it in the pandemic how dare you open uh the church when we're supposed to be closed think about what the world is seeing uh, we need to romans 13 we need to love our neighbor you're damaging your witness so that's where a lot of this comes from. Now, like I said, this is his. This is Keller and, and those who kind of uh, you know follow him on this. This is they're assuming that any engagement in politics, uh, to to one side and any one side is going to damage the church's ability to win people to Christ. And it assume that approach assumes that anything the Christian does impacts the witness of the church and it can it can affect positively or negative, uh, negatively, our ability to win souls. Again, there's some truth to that. If I'm a complete hypocrite, then, and it's on display for all to see, and I'm not talking about the world's definition of hypocrite, which says, oh, you don't want babies uh, killed in the womb, but what, are you out there adopting all the babies, you hypocrite? That's not. That's the world's definition, by the way. An actual hypocrite is, this is a sin, and then I do act like that sin's no big deal for me to do it. That would be an actual hypocrite. Right, So this approach doesn't dif- differentiate the Christian's responsibility, however, to seek justice or the common good in whatever society in which he or she lives. So that's that's one of the things that James Wood points out, that Keller's whole hog approach in the third way, this don't be too political or identify too easily or be too easily identified with a particular, a particular side uh, because you damage your witness, Neglects the fact that the Christian has, in his ability and to some extent, a duty to do justice, to do to seek the common good uh, in our society. I mean, why why do we have Christians that have set up hospitals? Why have we do we have Christians who have set up uh, adoption agencies or orphanages or charities or food pantries? Why? Because we're seeking to do the common good. Why are Christians involved? in setting up, you know, legal funds and stuff like that because we want to do justice. Why are Christians involved in lawmaking and law enforcement because we want to do justice? So we have this ability one and and some and to some respect two a responsibility to seek justice and 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 to seek the common good in our society. So when when people like Tim Keller and David French and others are saying how dare you take this stance? How dare you speak so hard right political on this issue? You need to be, as, uh, as Phil Vischer said, you need to be nuanced. How dare you take this position? What they're saying is your commitment to doing justice, to seeking the common good, is far too, is a bridge too far to take because you might damage your witness to the world at large, and we need to win these people to Christ. So that's kind of the problem, is the, the overall concern is, we need to be winsomed, we need to be nuanced, that we need to be kind of less clear on these issues, because we really need to be concerned with, what will the world think? And that was kind of the big thing, Rich. we heard this at the SBC, the world, the, the convention last year, the world is watching. Why are we making an issue of this? The world is watching. So I think that's kind of what we're talking about, is, this is the winsome and nuanced argument, kind of in a really tight nutshell. Um, you know, does that make sense are we making a clear case here, I think?
1: Absolutely, brother. but one thing I wanted to point out, you know it, like you said, we've covered this issue in the past about the fact that Christians are are, are automatically considered conservative or conservatives are automatically considered Christian. It's not being a conservative that makes a person Christian. It is their relationship to Jesus Christ, whether they've received Christ and whether Christ has accepted them as a born again believer. And in today's world, we we have the benefit of divine grace in today's society. There are hospitals, there are churches, there there are Not churches, but that's that's not my point. But there are hospitals, there are adoption agencies, there are legal funds, there are all these things. But a lot of these things are provided, possibly even nonprofit, are provided by false religions such as the Roman Catholic Church. There are thousands of hospitals in this country that are sponsored and promoted by the Roman Catholic Church that were founded and put into place by the Roman Catholic Church. There are all types of abortion, pregnancy, not abortion, but pregnancy crisis counselors that are not Christian. There are homosexuals that stand against abortion. There are worldly people standing against these issues. And in today's world, you can't tell the difference between a nice Christian a nice Muslim, a nice Hindu, or a nice Roman Catholic if they are trying to help others. People will look at them and say, oh, that must be a really nice person. They must be a very good person. The thing that separates the true Christian in this world from all the good works in the flesh by all these different individuals, religions, politics, politicians, secular societies, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no nuance in the biblical gospel, when it comes to sin, God's word explicitly states if you murder, that is a sin. If you have sex outside of marriage, that is a sin. And it's very explicitly put there's no nuance, there's no double talk when it comes to the word of God. There's no gray area when it comes to sin. There's no sin that you can say, well, that may sort of kind of, that might be a sin depending on the way you look at it. Yes, there are some issues that a weaker or a young Christian may not completely understand, just like when Paul addresses eating meat with a weaker brother. But there are issues when it comes to sexual immorality. Sex is for the confinement of a marriage between a man and a woman in marriage, period. Anything beyond that is sexual immorality. And I could go on to other forms of sexual immorality that involves issues of the mind and the ears and the eyes and the heart. But the Word of God makes it clear. This is a sin. Why would men such as Tim Keller and these other individuals think that we must be nuanced when we're discussing these things to win someone to Christ? We don't win and can't win anyone to Christ. Only Christ can save that lost, depraved person in love with their sin. No matter how sweet or nice or polite Tim Keller talks, Mm -hmm. he will never break that bondage of love for sin from that person that is in the world. Only the power of Jesus Christ and his word can break that chain, that slavery to sin. No matter how nice you might be, no matter how you soft-pedal a particular sin, no matter how you try to Put all these different spins on abortion and everything else okay if we ended abortion tomorrow everyone came to an agreement okay abortion needs to be ended and it's ended without addressing the disease of sin which is sexual immorality the symptoms of sin you could get rid of all the different symptoms and cure the symptoms but unless you cure that disease which is sin itself all these other efforts are really and truly in vain when you weigh them in light of eternity. Mm -hmm. And that's the portion of this discussion with all these different people that I am not seeing. They're not addressing the greater issue, which is sin in this country, sin in the individual, sin in these institutions. And unless the sin, the the disease of sin itself is addressed, all these other symptoms are going to keep (coughs) being there i mean it's like someone having half their arm cut off and a splinter in their finger and instead of trying to sew up the gash in their arm people are standing around trying to get the splinter out of the finger right unless you address the major issue which is sin itself and address it with the cure that god provides all you're doing is banging your head against the wall and you're actually fighting against the will of god even though you think you're doing something good, you're fighting against the power and the will of God because He provides the solution. It's not in your control. It's not in your power and never will be. It's all in God's hands.
0: Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem is that when we get into this winsome nuance argument, this third way argument, that the approach assumes that any alignment with something that is mirrored in conservative politics is going to be a turnoff. To unbelievers, and that goes back to what you're talking about when we're talking about the issues of sin. So, for example, uh, a you know the winsome nuance approach would say that on matters of social justice, on matters of gay marriage, abortion, etc., winsomeness and, and nuance requires that Christians understand that holding too hard to a particular negative position on the matters will end up c- causing offense to an unbeliever. So. Uh, those who hold to social justice would be angry if the church does not support freedom from oppression. Uh, those who uh, support gay marriage would be upset if the church doesn't, you know, is is insensitive to them finding love. If the you know those who support abortion are going to be offended that the church doesn't want to support bodily autonomy or some sort of exception clause. Um, knowing that unbelievers that uh, who need Christ to overcome these issues, these issues of reliance upon, uh, you know, in social justice, oh, the solution is more money, more power, etc. No, the solution is Christ. Uh, Gay marriage, abortion, uh, these other issues, they need, you know, they need reconciliation with God. They need to repent of sin. These are what they need, but even though they know that this is what unbelievers need, they're worried that if we hold negative positions against gay marriage, social justice, abortion, etc., we are going to pu- pu- uh, push them off. We're going to cause offense to these individuals. So, mind you, again, this is kind of framed as if you if you hold firm and you hold a uh, you know again using the far left leaning uh, example of Phil Vischer. Uh, well, there's a lot of people that believe abortion should be nuanced because we can redefine murder to mean something different than we're not going to worry about what the scripture says about it because he doesn't want to say abortion is murder because if abortion's murder, then he has to uphold what scripture says. So he's worried about offending unbelievers. So rather than seeking you know uh, politically conservative answers, in other words, overturning something like Roe. Christians need to be willing to accommodate some sort of middle ground where we speak the truth of the gospel to them without angering them politically. So if we say we need Roe overturned, because Roe uh, is, is one of the reasons that millions of babies have been murdered, and that's a sin we shouldn't be allowing, that's a national sin, um, then that's holding to political uh, solution. We need to go back to being nuanced about the issue of abortion. Kind of what, what Tim Keller said in a, a tweet several, oh, a couple of weeks ago now, I think, <clears throat> where he says, well, the Bible tells me that abortion is wrong, but the Bible doesn't tell me the best way to address the issue of abortion. That's what he's talking about. Instead of saying making uh, abortion illegal, that would be a hardline political stance in his view. We say, well, we need to figure out what policies will best help eliminate or reduce abortion, which is, by the way, what Phil Vischer said. He wants to, he didn't say he wanted to end abortion. He wants to minimize abortion. That's his quote, folks. So... Um, that's why I say Phil Vischer, enemy of the Christian faith. Um, so instead of just holding these positions, that would be. I want to stick something. Go ahead.
1: I want to stick something in right there before you get any further. Go ahead. Basically, they're wanting to include an escape clause mm-hmm. for certain forms of sin. Instead of just saying that all abortion is wrong, all abortion should be eliminated, they're wanting to leave that little caveat in there. With those that old phrasing in the except in the case right. of they're wanting to leave that clause in that. Instead of addressing the overall sin, instead of addressing the, the the exception of rape and incest, instead of wanting to go harder after those that committed those acts. Right. They want to cover one sin with another by making the baby
0: suffer for the sins of the father. And that's how that's how some people would argue it. And that's a middle ground, according to the winsome, that's that third way that uh, you're going to hear argued. And um, it means we can't advocate for the end of abortion or, say, the end of gay marriage or advocate against something like social justice. But we have to look for ways to socially meet these persons without overtly supporting their sinful practice. So... A gay marriage thing, for example, is instead of trying to overturn Obergefell and eliminate the the uh, unconstitutional mandate of the Supreme Court to say you must allow all homosexuals to marry, um, instead of saying we want that overturned, we want that ended. Well, we have to be concerned about why they feel like they need to be married, and you got to understand that these people are lonely and they're they they have this need for love, and we've got to find out. How to best present the the answers that they need, rather than telling them what they're doing is they're being blatant sinners and and they're they're going to hell. So okay, go ahead. Um, that
1: everything you just said goes back to old evangel- evangelism methods that were taught in the '60s and '70s. When it comes to and uh, the different names have been applied to it relationship evangelism or friendship evangelism we've got to meet people where they are and become friends with them and and relate to them where they're coming from in order to earn the right to proclaim the gospel to them in essence that's what all of this boils down to that is not biblical evangelism when did you ever see paul in the new testament have you ever read well he went to the the he went to philippi And he talked to everyone there and tried to figure out where they were coming from and and which God they, they followed and, you know, whether they adhered more to the more ancient Greek type gods or the more Roman type gods or, you know, are you from this country, are you from this country? No, he just went in and simply proclaimed the biblical way of salvation, ended up in jail and beaten for it. That's the biblical way to proclaim the gospel. These people want to avoid persecution, so they're soft peddling sin in order to make themselves look good in the eyes of man, instead of glorifying Christ Himself.
0: Right, and and interestingly is that what they'll do is they'll point to Paul, and they'll say, "Oh well, on Mars Hill he quoted one of their poets uh, in Titus. He says, you know, qu- re, uh, quoting. Uh, I just had to look this up because I couldn't remember the guy's name—a philosopher by the na- name of Epimenides. Uh, you know, in Titus one twelve, he says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So saying, hey, even the, even the uh, philosophers of the day know how bad the people in Crete were. So they're saying, oh, well, look, see, he he, he appealed to them through their own resources, so to speak. So see, there's a, there's a third way. But again, that's not what Paul per se was doing. He wasn't meeting them, as you say, where they are. It isn't trying to say... Um, you know, he's not in any way trying to negate their sin or soften it so they're not offended. He just simply pointed to something they would recognize, you know, as, you know, the poet who says, well, we're all his, we're all his children, or Epimenides, Cretans are really terrible people. Um, he's kind of saying, you guys are already aware of this much, right? So then he goes into a biblical presentation of scripture, of the scriptures and the gospel it's itself. Great-
1: As Ray Comfort would say, he was making a transition from the earthly realm to the spiritual realm. That's all Paul was doing in those quotes. He was transitioning to the biblical gospel using something that they were familiar with and getting their attention and transitioning that into the words of Christ. Exactly. And that is a biblical way to proclaim or to share the gospel or whatever way you want to phrase it. But he was witnessing to them. Um, I like the example of Peter on the day of Pentecost because he didn't pull any punches. He said, you crucified Christ. You put him to death by the hands of lawless men. You did that. Yep. The sin is on you. Exactly. How many of these evan- evangelists would actually do that today that would point their finger and say, you have the sin. The sin is your fault. Yes, You rejected Christ. Christ was crucified because of you and what you love. They won't do that because they're too scared of offending someone.
0: And that's that's really the problem. They see the approach as a way for unbelievers to see Christians not un, in... They don't want uh, unbelievers to see Christians inherently some sort of political creatures who are seeking to impose their religious motivations on them. Rather, they want to see... They want uh, you know the unbelievers to see Christians who are genuinely concerned about them as individuals, and while that may sound great on the surface, that it, it develops several problems that I think need to be addressed, because it goes back to what you said. There becomes a soft peddling of the uh, of what the scriptures say because we're concerned, overly concerned, that if we sound too firm on the matter, we're going to be seen as these terrible people. So. Let's, let's talk about some of the issues that I believe this actually creates. And the first is that it even assumes that there's a third way or a middle ground that can be found. When it comes to so many of the social issues that people like Tim Keller and others are concerned about, unbelievers are seeking solutions that scriptures cannot provide. Let's, let's just understand that. Unbelievers are seeking solutions that do what? Gratify their flesh. Because that's what we do before we come to Christ. We are seeking what? Satisfaction of our sinful heart. So it doesn't matter how Christians frame it. If it doesn't satisfy the flesh, it's not going to be received. So if we try to be third way, middle ground, and we yet somehow still bring in the scriptures, and we soft-pedal sin, we're never going to be able to present answers that they want to begin with the solutions are their solutions are always going to be at odds with biblical principles so to take the abortion you, you brought up earlier rich the exception clause scripture is clear murder of an infant in the womb is a sin okay god we talked about this just a couple episodes ago Um uh, or just just two weeks ago in our on our last episode. God knit us together in our mother's womb. He created us. He gave us life. He says it is a sin to murder. So the exception clause rape and incest while it sounds sensitive to the person who endured the harsh treatment, the vile and 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 uh despicable treatment of rape or incest. The problem is it still violates God's command, you shall not murder. So the middle ground of being nuanced about abortion ends up causing a problem where we have to come up with a solution that doesn't sound super political right super hard right political but we end up are finding ourselves at odds with scripture so how can christians abandon clear christian principles to go seeking a, a middle ground that doesn't exist that's the first problem you know the middle way or you know the the third way middle ground approach where we try to not be too harsh on an issue, right, by not standing too firmly on that issue, because we're afraid it might sound like we're in alignment with the right, politically, ends up compromising our stance on scripture. So the third way doesn't give you, in probably vast majority of cases, you're simply not going to be able to nuance your way around it. You have to stand firmly on the scriptures. The second way is that it assumes that Christians are seeking to advance uh, it's, it assumes that Christians seeking to advance Christian principles in the public square is always wrong. This is one that it's it's. Some people are going to maybe not agree with I with what I have to say here, but I just want you to listen to what I'm saying and and understand where I'm coming from. Let's start with the this. The Word of God is our sole authority for life and practice. It is God's Word revealed to the world. Okay. Whether the world accepts it or rejects it does not matter. It is his revealed word to the world. It's the same way that the the laws written in your state, county, city, local community are on the books for you to read. If you reject them, it doesn't matter. If you disobey them, you're held accountable. God's word is our sole authority for life and practice. It is inerrant. It descri- and and it, it describes the human condition, in that inerrancy perfectly describes it. So if his precepts and commands are perfect, then let me ask Phil Vischer, Tim Keller, David French, what else are you going to turn to? If the Word of God is perfect... If the word of God tells us exactly what we are as human beings, and if his commands to us are perfect, what would, what could we then present as a third way that would advance public policy and human flourishing and what's best and good for for the common good, if we're not going, starting places, the word of God. Now, I know that there are some people going, you're talking about theonomy, not talking about theonomy. Okay. I'm not a theonomist. But Christians, your starting place is always going to be the Word of God because it perfectly describes us. And it perfectly describes God's commands to us. And whether they like it or not, unbelievers are beholden to the Word of God whether they believe it or not. How do we know that? Because when they stand before God, everything they've done in violation of His Word, they're going to be held accountable for. Rich? I wanted this to be a good
1: spot to share something that I read that Martin Lloyd-Jones had to say he states I well remember certain men who were concerned about social and political matters and who constantly preached on such things and packed their chapels for a while but only as long as they preached politics the moment they began to preach the gospel truly the crowds left politically minded people are always ready to make use of the church but they always abandon and shun her when she ceases to be of any value to them on the other hand, on the other hand, if we think we're going to fill our churches and solve our problems by preaching politics and taking an interest in social matters, we are harboring a very great delusion. The world can never be reformed, never. That is an absolute certain. That excuse me. That is a, that is absolutely certain. A Christian state is impossible. All the experiments have failed. They had to fail. They must fail. The apocalypse alone can cure the world's ills. Man, even at his best, even as a Christian, can never do so. You can never make people Christian by acts of government. You can never Christianize society. It is folly to attempt to do so. I would even suggest that it is heresy to do so. Man must be born again. How can they live the Christian life if they have not become Christians? Good fruit can only come from a good tree, a good root, and the idea that you can impose a Christian life or culture upon non-Christians is a contradiction of Christian
0: teaching. Bam. Agreed. And and I want to make, that's why I say I'm not a theonomist. I'm not arguing for theonomy in any way, shape, or form here. But I do want to say that when we as Christians go to the polls, when we are talking to our elected leaders and we're advocating for public policy, Rich, what are we going to turn to? Are we going to turn to secular philosophy? Of course not. We're going to go to the Word of God because the Word of God is perfect and it is what God says is best for for people and and, and for their well-being. Over and over again, there were things that God commanded that while they were his laws and and denying to, or refusing to do them were sins against him, there were also things about them that were good for the, you know, for the nation. So when Christians say, I'm going to vote my conscience, I'm going to vote my biblically important conscience, and when I speak to the culture, I'm going to speak from the one perfectly authoritative source the middle, the the winsomeness and, and third way crowd say, that's wrong. You can't do that. That's going to that's that's aligning yourself too politically in one direction. You're seeking all these political solutions, but the truth of the matter is, you're acting out of what your uh, knowledge of the scriptures are. We know that people are going to reject the word of God. We know that they're going to sin against God. And we know that even if we could create a utopian society, everybody in it would die and go to hell. But that should not stop us from seeking to advance good policy and and advancing laws that don't celebrate sin to invite further wrath upon a nation. So the idea that we can't do that, that we can't speak to what is the common good, and we can't do so from Scripture... I believe is just inherently flawed. You know, Christians have an obligation to pronounce the uh, the scriptures to, uh, to the world. And we are to call people and entities and governments to repentance. Where are we going to do that from? We're going to do it from the word of God and we're going to do so publicly. And we know that we can do that because we have people like John the Baptist who spoke against Herod. We saw, we uh, you know, Christ, when he was told, flee from here, Herod is seeking you. What does he say? Tell that fox... You know, he, he, he speaks against uh, Herod as being, you know, ter- uh, as basically a corrupt leader. There is, you know, there is nothing that says in Scripture that we cannot publicly proclaim this. And that we can say it is wrong for a culture to embrace and celebrate sin. In fact, we are called to tell the opposite. That we ought not celebrate sin at all. So, we have these uh, our primary command to go forth and make disciples. Absolutely, that is our primary mission. We can't let other things, like you said, Rich. We the, the, it has been yours and mine complaint about the religious right and, and the uh, you know, the moral majority and all of this that said we we're going to create a Christian utopian society by having all the right laws. Can't do that. You need you need they need Christ. <clears throat> so that our primary mission can't be. Uh, misdirected I agree with them on that We can't be but we are still called to live as good citizens in our nations and to love our neighbors as much as it depends on us to live peaceably among them so if we're going to do what is right for our neighbors then it does it not make sense that we would say not only do we not want laws and leaders that celebrate sin but we want laws that say that's a bad thing to do Because that's not good for people. Leading them to believe this degenerate lifestyle, which is damaging emotionally and physically and mentally, is bad. But it's also, we care about it because our religious convictions and our understanding of Scripture says you are inviting, by publicly celebrating this sin, you are inviting the wrath of God upon a nation. And we've said it before, we are a Romans 1 culture. As we, we, we see this culture go further and further down the drain, it is because the culture has more and more turned against God. And God has given this nation over to a depraved mind. So we cannot depart and, and try to seek political victory. I agree with them on that. It, the The gospel must go forth. But we still have an obligation for what is the public good. And so we should be able to proclaim what is right and true and good. And that should be informed by the scriptures. So we have to proclaim the truth. We have to say the hard truth and all of the truth. Uh, we have to call out public entities and policies that uh, that we should call on, excuse me, call on public entities and seek them to enact policies that re- reflect God's goodness. Uh, and in doing those things, we're probably going to find ourselves in alignment with a particular political party. It's not that we seek that party out because, and that shouldn't be the case, we shouldn't go running to the Republicans because, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm a Republican. It should be that if we are in the process of that uh, you know, acting out what we believe in the public square, we're probably going to find ourselves in alignment with that party, and they can enact the policies that we believe are best for the nation because they are most in alignment with the word of God. It doesn't mean that we have a wholehearted endorsement of that party. It doesn't mean that we uh, believe that everything that they believe and this idea that, well, if you endorse, say, Trump, you endorse all his, uh, his moral failings, that's baloney. You know that, I know that, they know that. But it's just the way the culture phrases things and they want you to buy into that so that you don't speak in this way. I think when we are seeking to, for the common good, and we want to see our nation flourishing in its in the way that the laws and the government act and the impact upon the people our first and foremost place to go to is going to be the word of god and we're going to speak from that and so to to say that you can't do that because that's going to sound offensive i i'm sorry then you're again it goes back to the point of you are now in in combat not with a polit- with politics you're in combat with the word of god rich
1: Well, it's interesting. I don't know if you had an opportunity to listen to both of those sermons by Lloyd-Jones yet, but in one of the links, it's based on Romans 118, and he actually states a good bit of what you just summarized when it comes to Christianity, society, and culture, and the difference between wanting a moral culture and wanting a Christian culture, and the uh, the mor- I forget how it was worded the moral morality fallacy of trying to impose righteousness without Christ and that may have butchered what he said <laughs> but I want to share this briefly. There's is another quote from Martin Lloyd Jones and <clears throat> he goes on. I believe the function of the church is to exercise political and social influence indirectly. It is not the business of the preacher to deal with social and political issues in the pulpit. Instead, preachers equip people to make a change in the world. Preaching the gospel precedes societal change. The danger is to be materialistic in outlook. And he continues, when you build up a man spiritually and make a true Christian of him, then he develops a social conscience. Whereas these other men who are always preaching about politics and social conditions— the main effect they have is to drive their congregations away. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true today, but anyway, he goes on. In other words, they have no impact at all. The main result of a man preaching politics is that he gains notoriety, but he doesn't affect the situation at all. Right. And is that not exactly what we see by so many of these big evil types today? They're trying to gain notoriety, but they're not actually affi- affecting any of the situations. Um, and he concludes in this statement, "My best plan of doing, of influencing political social conditions, is to produce Christian people in large numbers, and then the politics will pay attention.
0: Yeah.
1: They don't listen to what the preacher says about political and social issues to begin with." But I thought that was pretty fitting in context of our discussion tonight.
0: No, absolutely, and and, and I'll say something about um, you know, I don't think we should ever preach politics. As if politics are the solution. In fact, it's the complaint that you and I and many others have had, including Daryl and Virgil, who have done a fantastic job on this over and over again. The biggest problem of the winsome and nuanced crowd when it comes to the embracing of social justice is that's what it seeks is a political solution. It doesn't seek a spiritual solution. It doesn't actually embrace the gospel. It says, well, we need to change society in this one political direction, which is actually my third objection to this this uh, particular movement. But the issue is that as Christians with biblically informed consciences and our primary mission of making disciples we still live in a society and again if you're a christian in north korea what we just talked about politically means nothing to you you have no political voice this is primarily a discussion that falls into places where <coughs> excuse me you have a, a, a have some sort of public voice so western nations you still have some kind of public voice Mostly, it's getting a lot, you know, that noose is getting a lot tighter in most places, Canada, Australia, etc., many parts of America. Um, So, the idea, though, is with a biblically informed conscience, with a desire to make disciples of every nation, and a desire to do what is right and good for my neighbor, I'm going to, I'm going to want to say to those whom I elect, do not, uh, do not submit laws and policies that endorse sin and make laws that are right and good and by the way here's how I can tell you what is right and good here's the word of God and I'm going to stand upon that publicly and when I say gay marriage is a sin abortion is a sin social justice is a corruption of the gospel I'm not standing politically I'm standing up biblically and calling people to the word of God. Okay, that's that's the problem. People are saying, no, you're being political. No, I'm being biblical. This is the third objection. Is that when we say these things, for example, abortion is murder, it should be ended. People like Phil Vischer would say, you're not being nuanced. Well, if scripture says that it's murder and it does why are you who are you worried about me being nuanced to it's certainly not to the political right because the political right in many cases agrees with me so who are you being nuanced to the political left the mo- the moderate to political left okay you're eschewing one particular group in favor of another you're saying the people on the right don't matter It's the people on the left we have to be concerned with. And that is where, when I said earlier, theoretically, a third way would be concerned with both sides. When you look at the behavior of the winsome crowd, what do they do? Well, to quote James R. Wood, punch right, coddle left. Now, he was quoting that from elsewhere, but that's what he said in his article, is we do seem to see that happen. Punch right, meaning attacking the right, coddle the left, kind of nuance and be kind to them. And that's what this does. Now, what are you doing? You're showing partiality. <laughs> See, what they're doing is that they they decry anything that seems to be politically conservative. That's, if you say abortion is murder, you're being political. But if you say abortion is nuanced and there's many aspects and and... Tim Keller's response there, we have to find different ways to address the issue of abortion. You're coddling to the left because you haven't told the left what they believe about abortion is wrong. But you've told the people on the right, you're wrong. You can't say that. So that's, we saw this played out in like major, like megaphone blasting spades during the 2016 and 2020 election cycle those who called for nuance and wins- winsomeness like repeatedly talked about the moral failures of Donald Trump and demanded that Christians not vote for him if you vote for him you damage the-, the church's witness all right now i would say that there were there were some voices in that elite crowd that would acknowledge that hillary clinton and joe biden had issues but we talked about it and we shared the link on the previous episode about how they paved the way for a Biden victory. Now, putting all discussion of voter integrity aside, okay, just that's that that's a different issue. There were those who paved the way by saying we I think it was even Tim Keller that said, "We have to make space for Christians who could feel they need to vote Democrat." Voting for the party that objectively said we will expand abortion access we will expand lgbt rights we will expand trans rights that it was biden who said trans rights are the civil rights issue of our era i mean these were people that like took scripture and looked at the list of sins and said that's our platform that's what we're going to stand for all these sins are virtues are now okay they decried Donald Trump, but they didn't put anywhere near that kind of vociferous uh, objection to the Democrats in any way, shape, or form. They just didn't. That's objectively true. Um, and again, we saw articles, we saw we talked about the pro-life for Biden people. We saw articles about making space for people voting for Democrat, etc. We saw repeated assaults on, on Christians by casting aspersions and doubt on anyone who would vote for Trump, despite... How they, why they explained why they felt they think they could vote for him. The simple truth was that, in, the simple truth about this is that in practice, winsomeness and nuance is reserved for a particular group. That's why Phil Vischer can be snarky to someone who says abortion is murder, but he can look to the people on the left and go, abortion is nuanced. It is, it's practice. I don't care what you claim about it. It's practice is I'm going to coddle the people who are actually neck deep in sin and going down for the third time. Because I don't want them to be offended by taking too strong a stance. Rich?
1: Well, and the sad reality is when, when it comes to these big Eva pastors like Tim Keller, and they're, they're trying to take a middle ground in all of these different issues, The sad reality is they have buildings filled with worldlings instead of Christians. And their their donation plates can't afford to take a biblical stance on issues like abortion, homosexuality, or even female pastors. Because if they take the biblical stance, that donation plate is going to decrease. They're more worried about keeping their power, keeping their status quo, keeping the money coming in. They're more worried about these materialistic type things than they are the actual word of God because actually when it comes down to it, this country has moral ambiguity. They don't know what is right and wrong at this point because we're living in a era of post-rationalism because, you know, 50 years ago, someone may not have been a Christian, but they knew what was right and wrong. Right. Because God has implanted his laws in our heart. They knew what was right and wrong. But they hate Christ. <laughs> they hate his word. And that's why we have such a plethora of people preaching a man-centered gospel. Because that puts men as a priority. And they just kind of add God in like they're doing him a favor. Just throwing him in the mix. Yep. And sadly, that's what I see most of these these big Eva types doing. Because they want to take this nuanced, middle ground, wishy-washy stand on biblical truth and still claim to be a Christian because they're appealing to the moral turpitude of this nation instead of what the Word of, Word of God actually teaches and proclaims. Yep. If that makes sense.
0: No, absolutely. And that actually plays into the last point that I have here. You know, the, all of this comes down to our ability to proclaim the truth. If you are, if your ministry is built around trying to appeal, especially to one particular crowd, your, you know, how's it go? What you win them with is what you win them to. If you win them with abortion is nuanced, or same-sex attracted people need to under, we need to understand their need for love, or you know, like the Revoice uh, conference kind of stuff. That's what you're winning people to. If you change the message midstream to start preaching the truth about Scripture, you're gonna, as you say, they're gonna depart. So what you win them with, you win them too. And this is the pro with the you know the last point I want to make is that the winsome nuance mentality. And again, I would agree that how I present myself, if I present myself as a frothing at the mouth lunatic, you're not likely to listen to anything I have to say. And Christians, by the way, online, we need to be better about that. Some of us, myself included, take too much joy in basically telling someone off. We gotta be a bit more careful about that. Doesn't mean we can't stand firmly, and I'll talk about that in a second. But we gotta be a a little bit, you know, we gotta be restrained a little bit. Some of us are a little too eager, and I'll take the blame as much as anyone else. Sometimes I don't have a problem telling an obvious troll they're an obvious troll, and by Okay, if I well, if I don't if I present myself as a bit of a jerk, are they would they then listen to anything I have to say? Unlikely. Being nuanced and being willing to work through an issue, and I, I won't go into the details, but you know, the, we, we had a, a discussion with my family, and my son brought something up. I said, explain that for me. Explain why you think that. And I gave him time to explain it to me, and then I went to, you know, gave him the scriptural answer. Nuance can mean you can allow for people to present their perspectives. And you can be willing to hear them. Listening to alternative perspectives isn't going to harm you in any way. It will give you wisdom about how they think and how you can approach biblically. But you still have to approach biblically. The problem is that this winsome, nuanced approach, this third-way, middle-ground approach, ends up resulting in you're not able to sound firm or authoritative on an issue. Going back to Phil Vischer's thing. Well, many Christians think it's a nuanced issue. What about this, 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 this? Okay, what does scripture say, Phil? Let's not worry about all these other issues right now. What's scripture itself say? We have to start with the authority of scripture. Not what multitude of other Christians, when we do any number of surveys, most of them aren't Christians when we discover what they actually believe. So, um, why are we starting there? Let's start with what Scripture says. The problem is, is that unbelievers worship themselves at heart. I mean, let's just be honest. When we tell them that the uh, and, and telling them that the desires of the heart are sinful, they can see it as unkind. So if they're worshiping themselves, if they're worshiping the desires of their own heart, and we say, by the way, this is what Scripture says about what you're doing, they're going to say you're being mean. So the third way would say we can't do that. Middle ground would say, you can't do that. You have to meet them where they're at. You have to, you have to find a, a nuanced way to approach it. But Christ himself said his message is offensive. The, the, the cross is offensive. These, the, this winsome, nuanced approach is, is trying to assume that we can turn people off and, and chase them away from Christ. Well, remember, they're on the run anyway. They're not actually seeking Christ you're not going to attract them to Christ by yourself. You need to preach the truth. But if the mindset is that we, we need to attract unbelievers, then having a firm stance that tells them they're sinning, then they need repent, turn in repentance and faith. Well, they don't think that's a con- they don't see that as a selling point. Well, of course they're not going to see it as a selling point. We're not selling anything to begin with, but of course they're not going to see it that way. They they need regeneration. They need a new heart, which only comes by the preaching of the gospel, which then the Holy Spirit regenerates the heart, produces repentance and faith. So why are we trying to attract them with anything other than the gospel? Um, We cannot soften our approach on these masters. Let's just be clear. If we embrace something like, say, same-sex attraction itself is not sinful, but the, pur- but the pursuit and practice of homosexuality is, we're saying that what the scripture says about sexual desire that is outside the conf- confines of marriage between a man and a woman isn't sinful. We've we've softened that. If we tell a trans per- transgender person, uh, that if we encounter a transgender person and and, and the third way says even though this is a person created specifically by God to a particular gender, we should consider using their preferred names and pronouns so as not to cause offense, J.D. Greer. That's that's a softening of Scripture. Scripture says God made them male and female. But if we say, well, we don't want to cause offense, so let's use the pronoun they choose. Zay, Zem, That's what I've heard. We've just denied that God defines who they are. We're saying you can define yourself, but we don't want to cause offense. I'm sorry. Who am I more concerned about offending? Christ or the or the man who needs him? Going back to Phil Vischer's comment, you know, scripture refers to abortion as child murder. If we say that that's... That's a sin, and the person who commits that sin should be held criminally liable. Third Wayism says, "No, you got to call that mother a victim. Uh, There's as much a victim as the unborn baby is, because if you call them a sinner for what they've done, they're going to be pushed away. We're denying the truth of Scripture. Scripture says if you if you take the life of an innocent person, you murder them." God holds you accountable for murder. If I say that according to third way, I'm bringing offense. Now I can't speak authoritatively. The issue of biblical, you know, uh, critical race theory versus things like biblical ju- uh, justice. We, if we say that cr- critical race theory turns biblical justice into Marxian doublespeak, we're being offensive. So what do we do? We're supposed to embrace the ideology that says someone, if the, someone says they're oppressed, they're oppressed and we we can't make them prove it. That's that's harsh and that's mean and they know what oppression is. And and what really what we need to do is instead of telling them what biblical justice actually is and that, that genuine reconciliation comes through Christ, no, we need to come alongside them and comfort them and work toward the goals they believe will resolve their pain. Again, we're denying scripture. We're soft peddling the truth. The problem with winsomeness-nuance argument is that it, it considers harsh and cruel to speak with any firmness and authority and being unwilling to budge. But Christians are required to have biblical answers to these issues and many others within our society. Being told to model our speech in alignment with the unbeliever so we can negate offending them, it has the equal and opposite effect to God's word. It actually... Neutralizes the truth of God's word, it negates it. It is what Christ condemned the Pharisees for it is adding man made tradition and thereby nullifying the law. Remember what Christ said about you know, you say, or the, the law says that a man is to take care of his parents, but you say, Hey, I I, I can donate my money to Korban, I can it could be set aside for God, and then it's this way of kind of setting it aside. Supposedly to be used for God in subcapacity. And you neglect the care of your, of your parents in their elder years. And when they die, somehow you get your money back. By that tradition, they nullify the law. By these traditions, we nullify the command to actually make disciples. It has the opposite effect. If we soften the word of God to, to not offend the sinner... We nullify the word of God. Now, the Christian is called to speak the truth lovingly and without apology. So, speak now, by the way, speaking the truth in love doesn't mean that um, we say it in such a way that a person gets the warm fuzzies. Okay. That's not what means to speak the truth in love. Um, It means loving the person enough to not sugarcoat, lie, or hide the truth from them. Okay. We speak the truth in love when we say, I, you genuinely need to understand this, that what you're doing has you at war with God, and you're going to be condemned to hell. Let me lead you to the way of salvation, Jesus Christ. That's speaking the truth in love. It is not the street, uh, excuse me, street screecher method that Rich described. You know, all you terrible whores and blasphemers and homosexuals, you're just going to burn in hell and never ever present the gospel. That's not loving but telling a person your sexual immorality this life that you're leading is at war with God and I know it pains you to hear this I know you cannot imagine a life where you are you, you can't be with this same sex person or you can't pursue this trans. I know you can't understand that not currently but understand God in his word has told you who you are he has told you what he has made you for and you are rejecting it and putting yourself on the throne you are rebelling against God you are facing his just wrath and there is one means of salvation Jesus Christ guess what you just preach the truth and love it doesn't bring warm fuzzies but it's the truth and it's the most loving thing you can say so we remove ourselves as much as we can from the equation. That's not entirely possible, but we're going to do that as much as we can so we don't become the issue of offense. But if we dilute the truth to the point that the person does not feel conviction for sin and the need for repentance, we're not showing love. We're more concerned about keeping that person in our circle than we are about actually loving them with, to share the truth. So it's a love that uh, you know when we speak the truth in love and without apology... We are to speak you know, speak that way so that we're not prompting to preserve our relationship with the lost by altering what we say. Rather, we speak the truth and we trust God for the re- the results and the outcome. Uh, Rich, did you have something else? I think I almost uh, cut you off there.
1: <laughs> well, I just wanted to share something that Daryl Harrison posted on Twitter probably a week ago at this point, or might have been longer than that, but he wrote, The insanity of this depraved culture is that it believes it can save itself from itself. It is a mindset that makes perfect sense to a society that views itself as being completely autonomous from God and conversely from any accountability to him. John 12, verses 47 and 48. And that's exactly it. Today's culture believes it can save itself from itself by doing all these worldly things and passing these laws and doing all these other things, or it can save itself by loving its sin and doing all these different things, but there's only one answer provided, and that is the Word of God, and that's why I I encourage our brothers and sisters as I close out each show, and I'm closing out tonight, now, and I'll let you have the last word, but Whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation
0: at least once a day. Amen. Amen. So I do want to share a couple of quotes myself um, that were posted today by two people on Twitter, one of which is our good friend Gabe Hughes. Uh, he's pastor at uh, Lindale, uh, First Baptist Church Lindale. Uh, he works with Tom Buck. He said, much of what big evangelical teachers call nuance is really cowardice. And I agree with that. Going back to these last couple of objections that we raised. You are afraid. You are afraid to speak the truth. You are afraid that it will push people away. You are afraid of the truth of the gospel. And you are afraid that you will be seen as somebody mean. And I absolutely agree with him. The other one comes from Melissa the Homemaking Mater. She uh, goes by at Biblical Beauty on Twitter. Wonderful uh, sister in the Lord. For many, the road to hell will be paved with nuance. Now, I told her I'm I'm giving her accreditation for this. She said, no, don't. She realized it came from somebody else, but she never thought that she took it from someone else. Uh, Apparently, Nathaniel Jolly, one of our other other good brothers, uh, has said it many times himself. But that's absolutely true. If nuance and winsomeness forces us to alter the message, and I believe it does. Let me say winsomeness and nuance as defined by certain evangelical elites. Let me rephrase it. If it causes us to alter the message, she's absolutely right. As Gabe said, we're afraid to tell them the whole truth because we might push them away. If if they are not converted by the power of the gospel, where are they headed? Your nuance paved that road to hell. Okay, so I absolutely agree with them both. And I, I love uh, Daryl's quote, by the way, Rich. That was great. So let me just, a couple of last things. Winsomeness and nuance can cause us to lie to ourselves, by the way. If we are consumed with how we can alter the truth so it doesn't offend, we run the risk of believing that lie ourselves. I have no doubt in my mind that Phil Vischer firmly believes that he has a biblical perspective on abortion. Phil Vischer, in my opinion, doesn't know the word of God. He doesn't know it from, I want to say a hill of vegetables, but he doesn't know it from a hill of beans, in my opinion, based on the things that he continues to say. He's bought into that lie. If we we can come to the point where we believe that we're not embracing leftist thinking, we're really preaching the gospel. Look at the people who have full-throated embraced things like critical theory, critical race theory, critical gender theory, full-throated embrace. And yet these are people that we go, you know, like 10 years ago, you were doing some great stuff. What happened? We can come to believe we're speaking the truth. We can, Or we can end up believing that we need to view Scripture through the lens of winsomeness and nuance, which means we can end up interpreting the meaning through the unbeliever's eyes and rejecting the word of God itself. Because we are so consumed with how do they see it. We can lie to ourselves and we can alter how we see the word. I mentioned Gavin Ortland earlier. I I know there's mixed bags on Gavin. I think he wrote a book that uh, some people um, were not, Particularly fond of uh, referring to, you know, the characteristic of Christ being meek and mild. I forget the name; it's escaping me at the moment. Gavin Ortland, along with a host of other elites, and when the shooting at the uh, Tops Market happened, Tops Friendly Market happened, um, said exactly what everything everybody else said. We need to come to grips with the fact that the church is basically not uh, how do you put it white supremacy is evil it is helpful for us to say so without qualification this should be uncontroversial within the church but unfortunately that can be not cannot be assumed right now he's bought into that within days of the shooting at the Topps friendly supermarket there was a shooting across the country in California at a church A man of Chinese background, Chinese descent, who had intense hatred for people of Taiwanese descent, went into a church to kill people of Taiwanese descent. Where was Gavin Ortland? Where was Beth Moore? Where was uh, people like Tim Keller calling out that? They don't. Why? Because they've bought into the social justice narrative. They've bought into the church needs to show... That it stands in solidarity with these individuals who, if if we don't say something, then we will be seen as as being standing with the right. If we bring up the racial hatred that was mentioned, or that is evident, not mentioned, but evident, in the shooting at the church in California. Well, then they're going to feel like we're just doing the all lives matter thing. Or, we don't believe... That racism is a power structure thing, so we can't mention that. You can lie to yourself, you can fool yourself into believing that what you're doing is preaching the truth, and you can alter what scripture says because you're looking at it through their eyes. It is a dangerous place if taken too far, and we see that in the likes of people like Phil Vischer. So, let me leave you with this last thing we are to preach the truth. That's what we're called to do. Why did we spend an hour and a half, now an, an hour and 45 minutes, talking about all the problems with the winsome nuance argumentation? Because Christians are called to preach the truth. Genuine biblical love for the lost we meet means we speak the truth with firmness and authority without apology. Yes, you can be a real jerk for Jesus. Don't do that. Okay? But when you speak the truth with love, with a genuine desire to call people to repentance and faith in Christ so that they turn from their wickedness and turn to Christ, who gives the most precious gift of all, salvation, eternal life. You do so with firmness and authority, with no apology. We are not speaking this message to be approved of by men. We are speaking this message because it glorifies God. It means that there are going to be times where we have to be loving in our in, in our approach. Meaning, we spend a lot of time. We do a lot of you know slow, progressive teaching. Ask Bodhi Balcom about how he was discipled. It took him a long time. But if you know a friend in high school worked him through it. Okay, sometimes it's not going to be an overnight thing. It's not going to be a 250 character tweet where you you everybody can pat ourselves on the back for what a great thing we said. Sometimes it's going to take slow plotting and dedication. Other times there are going to be needs for strong rebuke and correction. We're going to have to speak. When John MacArthur gets up and says, homosexuality is a sin, and, he's, and he says that if you reject Christ, you're going to hell, and he does these things on Larry King Live, he is giving a strong rebuke to the culture what you believe is leading you to hell. He did so in the most loving way possible, but he still said it. There might even be times when godly mocking is order in order. Now we got to be careful with this because mocking is something we as Christians can think, "Oh, I'm free to mock," and so we get really snarky. We got to be real careful about how we do this. Uh the guys over at Servants and heralds have a great article that, that was posted three months ago. Jeff Wright, he holds them in derision, godly mockery. I'm putting this in um, in our show notes. Please read it. There may be a time when you, like Elijah and the prophets of Baal, to expose the foolishness of their false worship. He mocked them. When Christ would call the, uh, the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, when he would say, you know, uh, beautiful, basically beautiful on the outside, full of dead men's bones. Um, There may be times when even that is appropriate, but in a manner that is consistent with the Word of God. Be careful, again, how you do that. Please read that article. I think it was really good. It also means that as Christians we have a right and perhaps even a duty to proclaim God's truth into the world and seek the public good by calling for policy which aligns itself with what we know is right and good from Scripture. It may mean aligning ourselves with imperfect and uh, flawed political entities who are willing to advance at least some modicum of biblical truth and who want to uh, wrench society or against those who would want to wrench society away from any vestige of Scripture. Now, we have to be careful about that as well. We are not in ends justify the means people. We don't link arms with every uh, false teacher, every uh, clear uh, enemy of God who's simply just looking for our support I'll do this if you support me we gotta be careful about how we do that but there may be times where hey it's 2024 and uh, the the next presidential election is up and I know what Joe Biden has done to destroy this nation for four years and the, the guy that's running let's say it's Ron DeSantis man I hope so uh, I really would love to see that guy run and we learned some things about Ron DeSantis's history that it eh, could be better. And there's a third-party guy that's man—he's got all the credentials. He's really good, dude. Had, doesn't have a snowball's chance in the in uh, at, you know in the desert of uh, of winning. Do I align myself with Ron DeSantis and some of the political issues and some things I don't agree with, or do I cast my vote for the guy that has no chance of winning? and I can say I have at least a moral victory. you got to decide that. But you may be making those alignments. We're working with broken and flawed people all throughout society. You don't demand the guy that comes and fixes your toilet have a perfect moral character. You're going to have to make some decisions. And sometimes that means we're advancing what we know is right and good because of our knowledge of what God says is right and good in society because that's what's going to be best for our neighbors. Okay? We're not called to be liked by the world. In fact, we're going to be hated by it. Christ that, said that repeatedly. No ma- no 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 servant is greater than his master. If they hate you, remember that they hated me first. So it's the issue that we have to keep in mind is that we either it really is foolish that, uh, that to assume that we can some to begin with, we can't even find some sort of middle ground, and really, in reality, it's it's very unlikely you'll find it. It's often just simply doesn't exist because the world hates God, hates His Word, and hates anything you about you that's related to God, and it wants you to leave God behind before you enter into the public excuse me into the public arena. I'm stuttering all of a sudden. <laughs> um, the reality is you're not likely to find that middle ground, but it's a foolish assumption that even if you could, that somehow we can always keep the haters of God satisfied and coming in our direction. If we abandon the, the hard truths of Scripture to attract them to us, then we're attracting them to us, not the Word of God. And there's no way you're going to keep that kind of beast satisfied. The more often we compromise, the more they're going to demand that we acquiesce to their demands. So those calling to The church to approach all things in winsomeness and nuance need to ask themselves what's really most important to them: is it the praises of man, or the obedience to God? And that really is what it boils down to. Christians, we are called to be obedient to God. You do not want to be the reason, not the message. You do not want to be the reason that somebody doesn't hear, listen to the gospel message. Someone can reject the gospel as You could get three words out and you're being the most winsome and nuanced you can possibly be and they still tell you to zip it. That's not your fault. Okay? They don't want to hear the message. But you don't alter the message and the authority of the message and, stand, and fail to stand by the truth of the word because you're afraid that you might offend someone. Now, you've got to decide what hills you're going to die on you got to decide what debates you're going to go into. Rich once said on the show, and I loved it, you don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to. Absolutely love that, and I've used it many, many times. You're going to have to decide what debates you get into. I'm not telling you you have to be involved in the abortion debate. We did a whole episode about people who are are angry that not every Christian is an abolitionist. I believe abolition is the best way, but I'm not going to be angry with people who don't hold to that position. Can I debate with them about it? Sure, I think that's good. But I don't need to be angry with them about it. But you're going to decide what hills you die on. You're going to decide what debates you get into. That's your, that's your decision to make. I can't make it for you. Neither can Rich, neither can anyone else. But you're going to have to speak. We can't be silent altogether because we've been called to proclaim the truth of the scriptures. That's not just your pastor's job. That's not just your elder's job in the church. That's not just a Sunday school teacher's job. That's your job. And guess what? If you're a parent, you got to do it with your kids. If you choose winsomeness and nuance, not as... Look... I like. I was listening to a Twitter space where James R. Wood and uh, one of our one of my friends on here, William Wolfe, uh, who's with American Reformer. They were having this discussion about this very issue, and somebody said, "It's you know they brought up a point about winsomeness as a like a characteristic of yourself versus winsomeness as a strategy." If you approach winsomeness as a strategy, you're going to compromise something. And we're seeing that happen. If you are winsome in the sense that you have presented yourself respectfully, lovingly, in a manner in which you're not frothing at the mouth, wild-eyed, you know, far-right conspiracy theorist, nut job, then you're doing what Scripture tells you to do. You're... And by, by definition, you're being winsome. But what you say is not winsome. If you approach it as a strategy, now what you say has to be winsome. Now you have to alter the message. Now you can't stand too firmly on a particular issue, even if you believe it's what's best for the public good, because, well, it could damage my witness. We need to stop that. We need to reject that ideology. We need to stand firmly on the word of God and without apology. And how we understand the word needs to influence how we act in the world. Now nothing says your next door neighbor, who maybe it's a gay couple, nothing says you have to go beating on their door every day and tell them repent or or burn. You can be respectful, kind. You can help take out their trash. You can, if they need someone, you know, their car broke down and they need to go to the hospital, you can take them. Okay. There's nothing that says you can't do kindness. Doing those things isn't a compromise. And it demonstrates your care and your love. But you don't look at them and go, well, their relationship, they need love too. And, well, I can never say anything about homosexuality being a sin because, well, they might not want to listen to the gospel. They're in they're in sin. That's gonna to have to come up at some point. You can't punt. I'm sorry. Um, if you want a really good uh, approach to that, oh, well, Rosario Butterfield's book, uh, "Secrets of an Unlikely Convert." I got through halfway through the audio book, but. She talks about how she came to faith and how the pastor, lovingly yet with authority of the word of God, led her to truth. She hated every minute of it, but she came to truth. She came to faith. So there's a way in which the truth was spoken, and she was challenged on what she believed, and they didn't, uh, they didn't, um, they didn't soft pedal it. So good book to to, to learn that from. So, stand firm in the truth. Do so with love. Do so with care. Do so with genuine desire to see people coming to faith. Don't be the obstacle yourself, but don't fear the evangelical elite who say, If you do blank, you're going to look like a right-wing, card-carrying Republican, and you're going to damage the witness of the church. Reject that. Just reject it. Stop letting Ivory Tower elites prevent stop letting them prevent you to, uh, to speak the truth. Okay? Speak the truth with power, with authority, with firmness, without apology. Do so with love, care, and a genuine desire to, to save the lost. And if you live in a nation where you have a, a public voice, you can use it. Stop letting them silence you. So that went much longer than I intended. I was hoping to keep it under an hour and a half, but I think we had some really good discussion there. Rich, thank you for clarifying some of those those issues because it's so easy for it to kind of get lost where we start going, well, okay, we, we need to be political people too and you can't prevent us from being political. That's not where our solution is. We are going to be involved in politics and it must be biblically informed. But that's not the solution because that's what the people on the left want. They want political solutions to spiritual problems. And that's the ones apparently the winsome and nuanced folks think we should appeal to. And yet they will tell you, if you publicly speak the word of God, you sound too much right-wing. Reject that. Reject that. Reject that. Reject that. And stand firmly on the word of God. So I hope this has been helpful. Um really really appreciate your guys's time and your patience with us the longer episodes sometimes we, we don't intend to go that long but you guys always seem to hang with us and we're really appreciative of that so uh thank you for spending time again with us this week we hope this helps you um we hope it helps at least clear your thinking on some of these issues folks Pray for Rich, pray for me, pray that we continue to be faithful to this ministry, uh, that God would continue to provide us the ability to do so, that we would be always be desirous to honor God first and then seek to edify the saints second, and that uh, we seek to live the very things that we talk about here. I'll tell you from my own perspective, uh, I will not speak for Rich, that I sometimes will see the issues in my own life and go, I shouldn't record another podcast ever. (laughs) Because I go, I'm doing the opposite of what I just said on an episode two months ago. And God has to remind me, like you, we're all works in progress. But I want to strive to be the type of person who lives by the very things we talk about. So pray for us that we would do so. And uh, pray that we would continue to love the Lord, love his brethren, or love loved the, loved the, our brethren and love his sheep and that we never compromise. If you can do anything for us, pray for that. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for giving two hours of your time. We are so grateful for you all. God love you. We love you. God bless you. We will see you next time.